Hello, and welcome to the Path of Most Persistence. This is a place where we hear and share tenacious stories of overcoming obstacles with our partners who dare to share a bit of their own personal paths. Dr. Oscar Acuna has over 35 years of combined experience in international diplomacy, technical cooperation programs, project management, and international development in both private and public sectors. He joined Texas A&M in January of 2019 and has served in various positions supporting international programs, including with this, the Nuclear Power Institute, Nuclear Security Sciences and Policy Institute, the Program for International Nuclear Energy, and most recently as the lead for outreach and international programs with the National Center for Electron Beam Research at AgriLife Research. Before joining Texas A&M University, Dr. Acuna served as section head of the Technical Cooperation Development of the International Atomic Energy Agency, where he was responsible for the overall management of the Technical Cooperation Program for several member states. He spent close to 20 years at the IAEA promoting cooperation and transferring nuclear technologies to countries of various regions for peaceful uses of nuclear techniques in the food and agriculture, environment, health, energy, and industrial sectors to support their national development programs. Dr. Acuna. Thank you. I am so happy you're here. Now, I have to say that um, your introduction, albeit brief, you have so much, uh, so many accomplishments, so many awards, so many acknowledgments. So hopefully we'll be able to cover that. But I just want to acknowledge to you and, of course, our audience that not only are you an outstanding professional with a tremendous history, a very well-respected history, um, I consider you my friend. We met several years ago, um, and hopefully we'll touch on some of that. I want to first start off with is a new accomplishment you just earned recently. Can we start with that, and then we can talk about all the other things? Sure. Thank you. First of all, thank you, Valerie, for allowing me this opportunity to be in your your podcast. It's, It's really a pleasure and honor for me. And as you said, uh, you are my dear friend, uh, uh, not only colleague for many years, so I really feel very good to be here. Yes, uh, I am very happy to share with you and the colleagues that um, finally I reached my my goal of uh, becoming a, a doctor. I completed my thesis for the PhD in of course, in the in the area where I've been working for many, many years, the nuclear sector. So it is basically on international nuclear policies. And um, I feel very happy because, um, as I said, for many years, uh, since I've been very uh, busy with uh, many, you know, activities, not only at the IA, but also here at Texas A&M, um, it was a bit uh, of a challenge. Yes. To, to to complete this uh, uh, goal, but I finally did it. So I'm, I'm very happy to share that with you. Thank you so much. And I, I knew you had been working toward it, but uh, realizing that this was just recently um, finished, completed, I, I just want to congratulate you and commend you for that determination, <laughs> that tenacity to get it done, because it's not easy. It's not easy for just the program itself because it's always very rigorous, obviously. But again, with all your other commitments, professionally, personally, all the things. So thank you so much for sharing that. And again, a heartfelt congratulations. Um, and I'm, I'm going to force myself every time I see you, rather than calling you uh, Oscar, I'm going to call you Dr. Acuna because no. <laughs> it is. It, I must do it because I know... Just briefly for me, after earning something like that, I realized how important, of course, it was for me because that was an accomplishment that I had hoped. First of all, I never thought that I would be able to attain. Um, But more importantly than for me, Oscar, 
it was important for me as a mother, a wife, and even as uh, a child to my parents. Um, it, it made me proud to be able to do something like that, uh, that because of my own parents' circumstances, they were never allowed or able to um, really have much education, formal education, albeit they're amazingly brilliant. Uh, but uh, it was good. Uh, I was hoping that they would see that accomplishment for me as one for themselves, but also for representation, um, especially, you know, of course, globally. But since we're sitting here in Texas, I think it's very important that we, especially with our last names, it's, it's really important that we acknowledge that accomplishment for ourselves and each other. So, again, yeah. congratulations. Thank you, Valerie. Really. So just just a little bit more with this. What does it mean to you personally and, and maybe even to your family? Has anyone expressed to you what it, it means to them? But most definitely, what does it mean to you to, to have earned this accomplishment, Oscar? Oh, it's wonderful. As, as I mentioned, it's a wonderful feeling uh, of fulfillment, you know, of um, really being able to complete finally a, a, a goal that I set for myself many years ago um, because of the uh, all the activities, you know, you are involved, as you mentioned, is very difficult, really, sometimes to, you know, have the, the time and uh, the energy yes. <laughs> to really yes. do this. But uh, my family has been very supportive, I have to say, particularly my wife. Uh, you know, she's also a very busy lady. She has been a, a diplomat for Costa Rica for many years. Um, uh, she served as an ambassador of Costa Rica in, in Austria for several years, and not only Austria, but also representing the neighboring countries uh, in, in, in Austria, and also to the international UN organizations based in Vienna. Mm -hmm. so, so, of course, she has a very also a brilliant career, a professional career, and she has been a, a tremendous support for me, and uh, as a person that I need to really thank uh, dearly, because uh, that, was, that was, in many occasions, the, the, the driving force for me, you know, to continue. Um, sometimes, you know, you, you feel like it's not possible, to, yes. but if you have a person behind you who loves you and really supports you, that makes things totally different. And that was the case in my case for my wife. And also my children, as you know, also, I, I have three girls, yes. uh, all of them are grown-ups, and they are very successful also in their own careers, and they were very happy. And as soon as they realize uh, about this achievement they called me said oh daddy we're very proud we're very proud of you and uh, we we were expecting this for many many years and now it's done so you feel you, you have to feel proud of yourself so that's the best uh, the best uh, I, I would say reward yes. you can have yes well thank you thank you for sharing that with us and and i've had the good fortune of meeting one daughter but most definitely your lovely accomplished wife and and no doubt they were all very supportive so thank you for taking the time i always like to be able to to give our guests an opportunity to thank uh, individuals publicly so i'm glad you were able to do that thank you so we're going to pivot just a bit. So again, your, your background is impressive and extensive, but let's start with what you're currently doing. Can you tell me um, about your current position and for whom you work? Let's, if we can, can you talk about uh, the research that is happening there and what you do? Sure. Yes. Thank you. Well, as you mentioned, uh, I joined uh, well, Texas A&M in 2019. And I, at that time, I had the privilege to work with you in the Nuclear Power Institute, which I was very happy that. Actually, when I was in Vienna, um, I met uh, Dr. Lee Pedicourt, and he is the person who uh, made, made it possible for me to come here. Yes. Uh, he invited me. When he realized I was retiring from the IAEA, he told me, <laughs> Oscar, you, we need you in Texas A&M, and uh, please come. So I always... I'm very thankful to, thankful to uh, Dr. Pedicor for yes. that um, yes. uh, invitation. And, and, and for me, I have to say, it was a totally, I would say, change of uh, my, uh, I would not say change of my career because I continue working in the same yes. field. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's differently when you were working for an international organization like the IAEA and then yes. working for Texas A&M, which is a very prestigious university and, you know, well-known around the world. So... 
Um, um, recently, I would say, well, maybe a year ago, uh, not so recent now, um, Dr. Suresh Pillai, who is the director of the National Center for Electron Beam Research at the um, Department of Agriculture, um, AgriLife, as it, it is known, uh, invited me to join his team um, because he um, had a contract with the Department of Energy, the, the U.S. Department of Energy, uh, who is promoting the use of uh, alternative technologies like electron beam and x-rays over radioactive sources, high-activity high sources like uh, cobalt-60 and cesium-137. So he knew about my, my experience at the IAEA in dealing with this type of programs or co cooperation with many member states, and he, he thought that it could be a contribution to this uh, program in, 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 in the uh, eBeam Center. So I joined the center, as I said, about, about a year ago, and I started immediately um, working with Dr. Pillai in um, conducting some um, uh, feasibility studies in countries who are interested in adopting alternative technologies, as I mentioned, the um, electron beam and X-ray. So at the moment, we have uh, about six countries in Latin America and two countries in Asia and the Pacific who are receiving our cooperation and working with us in completing those feasibility studies with the purpose of building a, an electron beam facility for industrial applications, mainly you know, for food irradiation, sterilization of medical devices, um, the working with the, uh, uh, plastic, upcycling plastics and the recycling plastics, which is a, a very, I think, important uh, and a topic at the moment in the world because of the uh, environmental problems they, they represent. So I'm dealing basically with these uh, projects at the uh, eBeam Center, um, uh, basically doing two things. One is promoting education and I would say outreach uh, um, uh, to those countries and uh, stakeholders who are interested in these technologies, explaining how they, they, they work and how they can benefit their activities. And on the other hand, um, facilitating the process of adoption of the technologies is, as you know, it takes a bit of time for them to really build the, um, the infrastructure for, for, to be able to operate an electron beam facility. And this is what we're doing uh, in cooperation with the, uh, as I said, with the Department of uh, Energy, and particularly the, the program of uh, National Nuclear Security Administration and the Office of Radiological Security, because they have the mission to reduce the risk around the world of not only radiological uh, safety risk, but also the uh, physical security risk. As you know, um, there are uh, a lot of uh, issues associated with uh, radioactive sources. If, yes. if they are ended up in, uh, in the wrong hands, mm -hmm. it might be a, a catastrophic situation because you know they can build uh, uh, the so-called dirty bombs. Yes. And so by, by reducing those equipments, those radioactive sources around the world, we are contributing to reduce the risk of those nuclear security issues. And at the same time, providing them the possibility to adopt, um, uh, I would say, a much let say, effective technology, which yes. is the electron beam, because it has more capacity. Um, it, is, um, it, it works on electricity, not on radioactivity, which is good. So you just plug it in and plug it off when, when you don't need it to use it. So radioactivity stops as soon as the, um, the you switch it off the, the, from the power, So which is not the case of uh, radioactive sources because you know they are working 24-7. Radioactivity is always there, and, and that's, the, that's the, the problem. So this is what we're doing uh, in, uh, in, the, in the Electron Beam Center. Very good. You mentioned so many um, items that I want to pull apart because they're also very important. But I also, uh, for the sake of our audience, you know, we have a very diverse audience. Um, we have the good fortune of having um, listeners from different countries globally. That's wonderful and humbling to know. But we also have young students and educators that are listening. So some of my questions are going to be for both audiences, if you don't mind. Sure. So you mentioned E-Beam. E-Beam is the shorthand for? Electron Beam. Very good. And that is your research center. So when we refer in this conversation to eBeam, we're referring to? 
basically, uh, uh, yes, let me, let me expand on this. They are uh, uh, accelerators, uh, uh, electron, uh, electron accelerators. Basically, machines um, working with, as I say, with electricity, yeah. but uh, producing the same effect as the radioactive sources, meaning accelerating the electrons to produce energy. And this energy is what helps to change, let's say, the materials uh, of any any product. Let's say you're dealing with um, plastics, as I said, or you're dealing yes. with, with food, agriculture, fruits and vegetables. You can change the, um, let's say, the, the, the properties and in the, 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 let's say, the, the DNA, yes. <laughs> basically, of the products to become either more more resistance to to pests uh, yes. to or to deal with the climate change problems you know to uh, issues like drought or 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 or, or flood situations so the, the radioactivity basically changes that that the, the the products and produce a better let's say version of a product that is more um, uh, not only uh, let's say um, Productive, but also more, uh, safer, much safer yes. for the people to 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 consume them. So so for so this is very important for food safety, yes. and also to produce um, uh, devices like in the medical sector, you know, for sterilization. Sterilization, correct, yes, correct. You can sterilize gloves, for instance, yes. surgical surgical equipment like uh, you know all these equipment used by surgeons. In, 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 in operations in, so uh, there is no other I'm sorry to be not to be uh, so modest on this but no other technology is so effective yes. uh, as, as electrons as linear accelerators because they really have the capacity the energy the power to kill all type of uh, pathogens um, yeah I love that and thank you for going there with me and I, again I'm thinking about our audiences that don't have the background that you do or that your center has. Um, uh, I always like to remind uh, maybe some of our, our younger students that also if it's cosmetics, you know, if it's makeup or even eye drops, all of that requires that type of sterilization as well. Right. But you, you mentioned uh, already the word radiation several times and um, many of our listeners might have a negative connotation when it comes to the word radiation. Can you talk about radiation as it applies to your center a little bit more? And, you know, I know you briefly, you know, touched on uh, the purpose of using it in food and, and other applications for medical supplies and things and even makeup, but how is, how could radiation possibly be good? Can you expand a little bit more on that? Sure. And this is very important, Valerie, because as you said, unfortunately, there is a misunderstanding about the, the word The word nuclear yes. is, is perceived negatively. And this is because we, all, we know that the accidents in the past, particularly in the nuclear power sector, may, may not really in the applications, in peaceful uses applications, is, there is not this type of problem. But, but it, since everything is under the same umbrella, which is nuclear, People have that in mind that um, that, that that nuclear is, is dangerous, is risky, and, and and this is something that is represents a big challenge for yes. for people uh, working in this in the nuclear sector. Um, you probably remember, and and the, and the media play a big role here, disseminating the information of yes. those. Um, there has been only three major, you know, thanks God, major nuclear accidents in the world. Uh, but they, they had a tremendous negative impact in people's perception of nuclear. Yes. And they associated, you know, the, those accidents and the, the problem, the latest was Fukushima in Japan. Mm-hmm. And with, the, with everything related to uh, radiation, as you mentioned. Uh, but radiation, as you know, as I always mention, um, how it started many, many years ago when um, President Eisenhower uh, delivered that famous uh, Atoms for Peace speech at the United Nations in 1953. And, and he said there is a tremendous opportunity here for the humanity to benefit for, from the atom. Uh, and you know, the atom is the, the source of radiation uh, or radioactivity. So, and that 
that was the origin of the International Atomic Energy Agency because of that uh, proposal by, by President Eisenhower. The, um, the community, international community decided to create the International Atomic Agency within the UN system to provide assistance to all member states around the world to benefit from the atom, as they call it, atoms for peace. Yeah. Later on, late Director General Amano added the word development. So he yes. called it atoms for peace and development. Mm. Because uh, those, uh, those programs uh, um, uh, involving radioactivity uh, uh, help development. As you mentioned, a couple of applications in health. Yes. Uh, one probably the, the most well-known application is a treatment of cancer. Yes. And, and diagnosing, diagnosing, uh, diagnosing of cancer, because the the um, it has been possible to create technologies, you know, like the nuclear medicine and uh, um, radio, radiotherapy machines to treat cancer, and that has helped help a, a lot of uh, save a lot of lives yes. in the world. On the other on the other side, you know, you have uh, which is maybe uh, I would say the the, the one area where people always uh, think of uh, their own safe is food irradiation. Mm -hmm. And when they hear food irradiation, they say, how come food is irradiated? So I'm, am I eating this food that will, 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 have, uh, will harm me, will have uh, problems in my health? No, of course not. Because um, um, radiation is, is, of course, it doesn't have a smell, no color, no, but it's totally, totally harmless. It's like when you, I always mention to people, when you have an x-ray, mm -hmm. you go to the, um, you, you know, to the doctor, your doctor, you, if you have a fracture, uh, you, you, you break a bone and you go to the doctor, they, he recommends you an x-ray because he wants to see what is happening with your, with your bones, where exactly the fracture is and how to solve the problem. So you go to an, uh, have an x-ray and basically the, the, the machine project those beams which are totally harmless to your, your body, and you leave the hospital with no problem at all, you know, and you have an excellent tool to assess the problem you have a, with, the, with the, your, your breaking bones or whatever, and the doctor is able to fix it yeah. based on the tool that they x-ray. The same happened with the food irradiation, you know. The, the, if, you, if you take food and you irradiate them to kill bacteria, pathogens, all these type of uh, insect problems like the fruit flies, which yes. are in many, many countries, you know, uh, are totally killed and clean by this technology. By so uh, it not only makes food safer, but it also, doesn't it also extend the life or the shelf life of food? Correct. Am I mistaken? Okay, no, good. no, you're totally correct. Good. This is an, another important, uh, let's say, benefit yes. from food um, through applying this uh, uh, radiation uh, uh, processing, you can extend the life of food in some cases, you know, for, for instance, spices. Yes. Uh, spices uh, can be kept in, 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 the, in the shelf for years, five, seven years. Um, um, some other products like, uh, you know, fruits, let's say mangoes or uh, papayas or guavas, you can extend the life for months, mm -hmm. three months. And there are so many, many um, retailers now, like uh, here in Texas, the yes. famous HEB. Yes. Uh, if yes. you go to HEB, you will see many of their products, fresh pro fresh products, like mangoes, guavas, they are irradiated. Mm. Uh, sometimes people are not aware of this. However, you know, because of the regulations, every irradiated product has to have a sealed, and uh, that is the, the emblem of the uh, radiation. Uh, it's kind of, uh, they call it the ra radura. Yes. So, so people know that the, the, the food has been irradiated and is totally safe. Uh, they're, not, they're not exposed to any type of uh, bacteria or you know, of, of pathogens. You know, like uh, problems like Salmonella or yes. E. coli is not present anymore in this type of product. The product has been irradiated. 
Thank you so much. I, I I appreciate you sharing that bit of information because that is those are everyday applications that maybe perhaps the general audience uh, may not be so much aware, but it is. It it can be used in very useful, peaceful uh, yeah. ways. And I especially with food because we all eat, we all need food, and especially knowing that uh, it is uh, maintaining food safety and extending the life is so important to all of us, especially. As um, as the cost of food uh, seems to be going up quite a bit these days, and and to know that our food can last longer because of this type of technology is very reassuring. But what I want to do is start to pivot a little bit more. Um, you mentioned briefly at the beginning um, that your center, the eBeam Center, uh, has a cooperations agreements with, I think it's six Latin American countries and two Asian countries. And I'm wondering if you can expand upon some of those agreements, those um, cooperations, but also I would love for you to spend a little bit of time, Oscar, talking about the importance. Why should we be working with other countries? Should we? Is it important? Um, and not only with these particular countries that these agreements are, these eight, but I want you to somehow start, let's start also moving to your work at the IAEA and that those important programs, those important initiatives, and how it all fits in uh, together and how not only does it affect us globally, but personally as well. Yes, very important question, because this is the reason the, the reason of everything, you know, um, the purpose. Yes, um, those agreements that we managed, you know, to have at the, our EBIM Center uh, with the U.S. government are very, very important uh, to be able to uh, expand our work, you know, uh, to the world. And uh, you, you ask why this uh, is this is an important goal to work with the many countries. Well, you know, you're not only uh, helping these countries to improve their 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 safe, let's say, the food safety, which is very important. Uh, you know, I was working recently with one country in Latin America, and the, one of the authorities told me, you know, with this new technology, we will be saving not only people's uh, lives, but also a lot of money in, in, in preventive public health. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, those uh, problems they have uh, with diarrhea, I mean, they generated from, from the, from the con- food contamination. It will be stopped. So we will not have that problems anymore. But, you know, for countries like the U.S., um, which, as you, you know, the, the U.S. is importing products from all over the world. And particularly from Latin America, because because of the geographical proximity, so many of the fresh produce is coming from these countries in Latin America, and it is important for the for the U.S. to make sure those those foods are safe. Yes, you know, by promoting uh, the use of these technologies in these countries and uh, providing them with the capabilities to build these facilities, they are ensuring that the the the, the imported food is safe. And the consumers in the U.S. are safe. You know, they're consuming uh, clean, safe products, uh, especially fruits and vegetables, those fresh produce. So that's uh, one of the reasons. Uh, and the other reason I mentioned before is by promoting this technology in many of these countries, um, they are reducing the risk of for continue using those radioactive sources. Many of these countries in Latin America and other parts of the world had been using cobalt-60 for irradiation, mm-hmm. for food irradiation, and many other applications for many, many years, more than 50 years. Yes. So um, they are trying, the, the U.S. government in cooperation with us, we're trying to facilitate, let's say, the adoption of these new technologies in these countries. And by doing that, as I said, reducing this, this risk of uh, radiological risk and also physical security risk. So... So those, I would say, are the, 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 the main reasons. And then you mentioned the IAEA, which is exactly um, in line with these, I would say, objectives. The IAEA, of course, works uh, as an international and inter- intergovernmental organization, work with many, many governments, many countries around the world. I think nowadays they have 173 member states who participate in their activities. Um, and the majority of those member states are developing countries. So those 
countries benefit enorm- enormously from the technical cooperation program, you know, by getting the technical advice and the support to train people, to, pr- to form skilled people, to use those technologies safely, and also to um, build, I would say, this type of technology that will totally change their situation, uh, you know, and supporting totally and completely their development programs. So uh, you can say you probably, I know you're familiar, Valerie, with many of the projects, technical cooperation projects of the IAEA. If, if you see their work plans, you see that it's a connection, direct connection from the technical assistance to the development program of the of the on the other the specific country like you know in a in a human health project yes. there is a connection of this technology to a cancer treatment or cancer diagnostic in the food and agriculture sector you see a connection directly to the con- to the consumers of, of food of fresh fruit fruits and vegetables so there is always this impact to the hum- to the to the human life you know to the yes. humanity they benefit enormously unfortunately these peaceful applications and the benefits are not so well known. Um, it's, it's something that we continue, you, we need to continue uh, disseminating this information around the world mm-hmm. of the benefits yeah. of the peaceful uses of nuclear technologies because the normal people, they are not aware of this. They hear about food irradiation, but yes. they don't even associate it with, with, the, with, the, with the atom, with, with the nuclear. Uh, I, some people have told me when I mentioned X-rays, I mentioned before. They said, "Yes, but what has to do with nuclear?" Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, because of course this is um, not uh, they don't they are not a specialist. That's right. Oh, nuclear. So this is another responsibility we need. Uh, you know, we have to really uh, ensure that we disseminate the right information to not only the uh, decision makers in member states or yes. authorities, but also the people. Yes. And the media, because the media plays a key role Absolutely. in disseminating information for the public. So, so that's another big, big challenge. And uh, in the IAEA, as you mentioned, Valerie, um, for almost 20 years, I work with, uh, I would say, uh, more than 100 countries around the world uh, um, who were uh, introducing nuclear techniques, peaceful uses of nuclear techniques in many, all the sectors I mentioned. Yes. And uh, I, I felt, you know, really good when I used to go to a country and see a problem, you know, like um, uh, in, in the, in the um, environmental sector, mm. that they, uh, they have uh, contaminated rivers, contaminated lakes, uh, and, and, and not doing anything about, about that. So I immediately discussed with the authorities how nuclear techniques can help them yes. in dealing with the problem and help them to formulate a project, a technical cooperation project, to deliver that assistance they needed. Then, over the years, I was I was able to go to the same country and see the, the benefits, the, the impact of the project, you know. The people working with nuclear techniques, there were laboratories in place, uh, people taking samples from the environment, testing their samples in the labs using a, a equipment, a nuclear equipment, mm. uh, to really see a, what was the source of contamination, mm. and in order to stop that from the from the origin of the of the problem. So there are so many you know benefits and applications around the world that uh, we need to really continue expanding. The, and here in Texas A&M, I was so happy to join Texas and input because I can't have the possibility to continue doing similarly work, similar yes. work in the, through the um, uh, Electron Beam Center and working with this, uh, all these developing countries in acquiring those technologies. Mm-hmm. So important. Uh, you know, as you speak and you mentioned the um, importance of sharing this information, it is so true. And, and that's what one of, one of the reasons I enjoy um, having our podcast so much. Uh, First of all, because every guest that comes on, I am just always struck by awe and wonder. I am always am so impressed, and and I'm always intrigued and inspired by our guests. And and you are no different. You are, are already one that uh, I know is going to be one of my outstanding favorite conversations. But. But it is because of conversations like this. I, I think that it is important, and it's in, in, incumbent on us, of mm-hmm. us that are in those sectors, to take the time. I think so uh, much of the time we're so involved 
and what we do as far as the day-to-day of getting our mission and our objectives uh, met and covered, that we sometimes forget um, the water in which we, we swim, so to speak, that maybe others um, aren't that aware. So you, again, taking the time to explain things uh, to me and to the audience is, is valuable. Thank you. But but as you know, you were talking about the IAEA, you mentioned member states. Now, again, that's, that's a phrase that you and I feel very comfortable using. But again, for the audience that may not yeah. understand what a member state is, what is a member state? Sure. As I said, this is an inter- intergovernmental organization. What does it mean? It means that uh, this organization belongs to the countries around the world who join the organization, not... Um, as you know, the, the uh, probably the United Nations whole community, international community, is more than 200 countries nowadays. But for the IAEA, because it's a very specialized organization working in the nuclear sector, yes. not all countries around the world are, first of all, familiarized with the, with this uh, field of activity, and second, they're not um, they don't have the capabilities yet to work with those technologies. So yeah. they need to build those capabilities. So it's a, it's a, it's a paradox. They yeah. do not belong to the IA because they don't have the capabilities. And if they join the IA, they could have the capabilities yeah. to, to benefit. So so those countries, uh, when they decide to join the IAA, they become immediately the, a member state. This is the word member state, mm-hmm. uh, which are they are part of the membership of the organization. Um, they have, as, an, as in any other organization, there are uh, rights, you know, and obligations, yes. uh, and, and they they have to contribute financially to the organization, uh, let's say, a budget, because it's, it's the way for the organization to really yes. be, be able to work. Um, but I have to say, the developing countries who are who are the majority of the membership. Uh, I would say. And you said there were how many? A hundred and. Hundred and seventy-three member states. Uh, and and out of those hundred and seventy-three, hundred and forty-five are developing countries, mm-hmm. receiving technical cooperation. The other member states are, the IA call them resource countries. Mm-hmm. Why resource? Because they don't get, they don't, they don't obtain technical cooperation because they are developed countries. They are industrialized countries. They already have yeah. those technologies in place but they provide their expertise to the developing countries who are building those capacities to be able to use nuclear techniques. So um, uh, in terms of budget, the, um, what, what, how it works is the United Nations headquarters in New York established what they call it a scale of quotas, yes. meaning based on the GDP, uh, on the gross domestic product of each country, the United Nations decided that this country should pay a certain amount of the budget of the organization. Um, so, of course, developed countries, industrialized countries paid more, yeah. and developing countries pay less yeah. because of the, you know, the, the situation of the um, GDP and the development levels. So, so, developing countries really benefit, I have to say, because they pay a small quota, yes. to the organi- but they get more. Mm-hmm. In, in you know in uh, from the I, from the organization so and developed countries also I would say benefits b- b- why because they uh, in the technical cooperation program you know that consists of providing training providing equipment providing expertise for a country to be able to use a nuclear technique uh, those developed countries are the ones who provide the experts the equipment and 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 also the know-how. And the organization pays for that. Yes. So IAA pays the, all those experts going to different countries around the world to provide their knowledge. And so they receive also, uh, let's say, a, a contribution from the IAA for, for sharing the expertise. So this is, this is the way it works. And I think it's, 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 it's a very good uh, arrangement, yes. I would say, and it's balanced. Yes. Because in the organization, you know, everybody has to benefit, yes. <laughs> you know, and contribute also. So um, in, during my years in the IA, I always was really impressed uh, seeing, seeing this, uh, looking at those discussions among member, among member states, uh, you know, making decisions on what to do when a certain problem, you know, came up 
for instance, when the Fukushima accident yes. happened, yes. all member states came together. There was an urgent, an emergency meeting convened by the director general to see what to do, you know, to help Japan. Yes. And not only Japan, because the effects of the radiation, you know, goes everywhere. Yes. So everybody was afraid of this problem. So immediately the, uh, a plan of action was put in place, uh, coordinated, facilitated by the IAEA, but there was a possibility to act immediately, yes. send, send experts to the region, to, to Japan and to Asia, uh, to monitor the radioactivity, to see how, to what extent the radioactivity has reached uh, certain areas, you know, the, the sea, the environment, the air, air earth. So, and, and immediately provide solutions mm -hmm. to that mm -hmm. problem. So this is, this is the, I would say, the, the, the beauty of a, of, of a program, of an international program like the IAEA, who is able to convene everybody yes. around the world, developed and developing countries, put them to work together, and provide solutions to everybody. So, uh, Thank you um, for that explanation. And, and from my perspective, too, Oscar, as you know, I've participated. Um, and uh, for me, it was so beneficial, although I was asked to participate as, as an expert from a developed country. Um, it was a very humbling experience because, uh, first of all, you're removed from your country and you're visiting a member state's country, possibly, or they're in uh, Vienna at the IAEA uh, home base. But it was an opportunity, although I was asked to be there as, again, as an expert, to provide instruction, to provide information, um, to provide some type of expertise. But it was humbling because uh, I learned so much. I always felt as though I walked away learning as much, if not more, from my colleagues that participated uh, from the member states and, and those from the IAEA as well. Um, the perspective was so important. And just realizing that you can learn from anyone. Um, everybody has a best practice to share. And although it may not fit perfectly in line with your programming or your system, yeah. a good idea is a good idea. And if it's a really good idea, it can be tweaked and adapted yeah. to your need. But yeah. I would also say whenever I had participated in events or even in casual conversations or even perhaps you might hear something through media that, you know, people will question, you know, why, why are we doing this? Why mm -hmm. are you doing yeah. this? Yeah. Um, it's not just so altruistic. I mean, there's a benefit to sharing your information and your yeah. technologies and um, and also maybe your products mm -hmm. as far as different experts going because mm -hmm. they're able to highlight to different countries, possibly new customers, yeah. uh, new corporations. So yeah. as you mentioned, it is a win for everyone, at least from my perspective and many others. Um, and I will always be so grateful to the, the years, the opportunities that I've had in every relationship and every program cooperation that I've ever um, yeah. participated in. So for the, for the times that you made that possible, thank you so much for including me and thinking of me because I always knew that I walked away a, a better person, a better professional from having participated. I like that, uh, Valerie, because I remember the time you... When I was in the IA and you are you were one of our experts, mm. particularly in, in a very important area which was education, because as you know, education is I would say the the the, the driving force for everything. You you cannot change the situation in every, in any country. You don't you you do if you don't have good education and uh, successful education programs, and in particularly in this field, you know, in nuclear science and technology, which is a very specialized area. And with all the issues we already mentioned, yes. you need to educate people, yeah. and and you have to start from the very very young young ages, yes. you know, from schools. And you have a lot. I, I know you have a vast experience in this area. Um, so you contributed. I remember quite substantially a lot to the IEA program by by going around the world, and 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 telling your story, telling how U.S. and particularly your work in in Texas uh, was a success and how schools in Texas benefit from this interaction and cooperation with you 
uh, in, uh, in, 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 in basically uh, having the tools, the right tools to teach STEM, as we call it, the, you know, the STEM education, which is yeah. sciences, technology, um, uh, engineering, and math, mathematics. Yeah. So that the students can really see the benefit and can be attracted for to those fields because it could be quite, you know, I, w I call it a very dry-ish, you know, subject. I mean, yes. when people hear about mathematics, mm -hmm. chemistry, physics, they say, well, what? What you know? I don't need to go into those such a, a lot of uh, work. And uh, if I want to be, I don't know, if I want to be a biologist yeah. or a microbiologist, well, this is not the case. You know, the, for for a, a biologist or microbiologist, they need to know a lot of physics, chemistry, you know, yes. <laughs> in order to do their work. But it's not seen that way. So when you go to a school, and I know you were to many countries as, as an IAE expert, and explain this to, to the right audience, to the, to the teachers mm -hmm. on, of the schools, to the authorities of the education you know, uh, institutions, they understood the, 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 the value. And, and I know, Valerie, and I have to say, uh, you get made a big contribution because nowadays, uh, after your, your participation in those missions, expert missions, Many of these countries, particularly in Asia and the Pacific, are applying your model. And the model you created in Texas, and now it was exported <laughs> to those countries and now are using it as a very successfully. And, and it is expanding. I understand there are more than 10,000 schools now using this model in Asia, in different countries, and teachers are now using your methods. So, so that's the great contribution that you, know, you, you do as an expert. And you contribute to the IAEA mission by, by, by participating as an expert. So I, I have to say I, I am grateful with you for this, for this contribution. You, you touch my heart. I'm, I'm humbled by your comments. And, and as you speak, it goes directly to my educator's heart. And also mm. just uh, as a mother, when I think of young children, Thank you for bringing up education um, because I'm a bit biased when it comes to education, as you know, some of my work. But um, personally, to me, education is the foundation for everything beyond uh, the personal aspects of other uh, parts of your life. Um, I think when we talk about these types of efforts, when we think of the, about these international corporations, you know, sometimes we think about these very big projects and agreements mm -hmm. between countries, but it is so important, Oscar. And again, you've, you've led in so many ways, um, of course, at the global level, but no matter your position, your background, you've always uh, made time to participate in these grassroots, so to speak, uh, activities. You've always supported them. You've always re recognized the importance. But what I want to say um, from those experiences and, and my own professional experiences is that when we work, it doesn't matter if it's locally within for us, Texas or mm -hmm. throughout the U.S. and even globally, so many of these initiatives, when we think about these big uh, technological uh, shifts or desires to make these improvements or investments, it takes years to stand up. Not yeah. only if you think about the physicality of developing uh, just the, the area, the location of building something up, you need a workforce behind it. You yeah. need systems in place. You need educational systems. You need workforce systems. Yeah. And and to me, uh, the work that you've always done and the work that we do here locally in Texas, it meshes well. Again, um, uh, the targets may be much more narrow or broad depending on the project, but it's in alignment because for education, and workforce, we have to start very young. As yeah. I mentioned, a lot of those projects take many, many years. Yeah. And if we invest in young children, not just secondary, but as you mentioned, primary, yeah. if we start now having those conversations about STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, nuclear applications, just even beginning to have those early appropriate conversations with even those primary students about workforce, giving them yeah. that vocabulary, they'll be ready by the time they're ready offset for university, yeah. um, college, 
technical schools here in the U.S. Yeah. I think that's so important because if we wait until they're in secondary school or even worse, if we wait until they're in or headed toward university, we've missed such a rich opportunity to bring about the awareness, uh, how it applies as we talked about food and and medicine, those applicable uh, relationships to how it affects him every day, not only as a a future um, employee, but as a current student, but just as an individual. So everything you speak of has a place uh, for everyone involved within a community. And it's just about having these conversations that realizing how we're all affected by it. So why not um, uh, just become more aware? You can make your decisions. We try to always be transparent, as I know you are. Every agency, be it the IAEA or even at the eBeam Center, always so ready to give information, but be transparent in doing that. Right, right. And uh, I think you touched upon a very important aspects of uh, education being the vehicle, let's say, for mm-hmm. um, uh, making people, uh, let's say, uh, able. It's, a, it's an enabler, you know, to really, um, as I call it even a social mobilizer. Yes. Because yes. Uh, if you give the, uh, the right education to people, they're able, they're able to really ripe those opportunities in a better way. You know, the, uh, when you mentioned that uh, we start with the primary schools, uh, those children, you know, some of them, you know, are already thinking what to do in the future, you know. Yes. And uh, many of them, you know, they want to be fire brigade yes. staff, they want to be nurses, they... Some, some want to do um, medicine, becoming a doctor. So you need to really encourage that and facilitate that decision in the future because they, they as you said, they become um, high schoolers and they're right about to join the colleges and they're still not sure. They, they, they know uh, their, their passion, they know, but they're not sure how those programs out there offering by the many universities will help them Yes. To, to achieve their goals. So this type of, um, I would say, a guidance is very important. And this is what you, I remember you did with the many teachers uh, internationally, explaining to them how to present them, how to prov- uh, provide the message to the students in a way that they are not, they are not only learning the subject, uh, whatever physics or chemistry, but they also uh, getting the information that how this can be applied in their lives. In their careers, and that's not easy, you know. Yeah. It's, 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 people might think, "Oh, it's, it's an easy task." No, it's not, and it requires, as you said, methodology. Mm-hmm. It requires tools. It requires a lot of, you know, skills yeah. that you have done it for many years. And this is what you shared with many teachers in, and as I said, they are doing it now. But they are also producing, I would say, another, I would say, um, generation of students and, and, and future managers in their countries that will be able to contribute to society. Mm-hmm. Those countries, Valerie, an important, I always see this uh, a, a key, uh, the level of education in, in, in a country is, is, is a, a criteria, the major uh, organizations internationally, like uh, you know the private industries, for instance, the, in the high-tech industry, this is what they assess. Yes. When they want to invest in a specific country, they go, first they see, they look at the education system. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it, re- it will require a lot of investment and time if the people is, are not prepared to, uh, to absorb this technology. You know, the workers, you know, companies like uh, Microsoft or Intel, yes. for them, knowledge is key, you know. And, and of course, they, when they, they hire employees, they don't, they, don't know, they don't need to know everything, but they have to have the basis mm. to learn, mm. you know, and the, and the eagerness yes. to learn. So when they, find, they, when they found this type of um, uh, people in a country, they said, this is the place to invest mm. because the learning curve is short, will be short, and we don't need to require so many resources to educate these people. It will be very quickly when they can can really you know catch up and really be able to work on these technologies. So so again, it's because of education, you know, <laughs> right. foundation, foundation. <laughs> yes. Um, 
as as we begin um, an attempt to close out this conversation, which is going to be so difficult, I, I want to pivot a little bit more to your background beyond the IAEA. You had such a rich career before you even started with the IAEA, which was 20 years of your career. But you spent a lot of time in diplomatic situations, working with governments. I want to know, especially now, you know, sometimes you hear so much about um, individuals, um, us losing our capacity to be diplomatic in situations. Why is diplomacy so important, not only at a national level, but on the day-to-day personally? Because I will tell you, Oscar, I think anyone that has ever met you, most definitely I will attest, there's never been a day that I've had a conversation, a communication with you that you have not been the utmost diplomat. You are always professional, diplomatic, always choosing to find a positive path forward. And I, and I wonder if you are intentional about that, if that comes to you naturally. And either way, why is it important? Yes. I also wonder <laughs> about that sometimes because it's, I have to say, I think it, um, it, it, it becomes uh, very naturally for me, you know, because um, what my principles are that you need to respect people and you need to recognize their, not only their knowledge, but the right uh, to, to think the way they're thinking. And this is the key for, you know, a successful diplomatic relationship. As you say, nowadays, the world is in a very complex situation at the moment. And, and you know, we are needing urgently, very urgent, good negotiators, you know, uh, diplomatic negotiators for, for looking for diplomatic solutions to this big problem that we have around the world. And someone was telling me recently, uh, working in this, uh, in the in the diplomatic area, and he told me, you know, Oscar, we need more, uh, being more inno- innovative and creative in peace solutions. There are many people, unfortunately, working in war uh, issues and in, in creating war problems yes. around the world. But in the peace side, not many of us are thinking of innovative solutions. And this is needed urgently, you know, mechanisms for, for, for peace. Because, as you know, it's really complex. I mean, um, uh, particularly what is happening now uh, in, in, in Europe uh, with Ukraine, uh, it's really sad to see that uh, we're really not being able to reach any agreement. I mean, uh, all possibilities are always hitting, you know, blocks yes. and generate other problems. You know, whatever uh, initiative is taking, uh, immediately there is uh, someone saying, well, no, because that would create another problem, you know. That. So so it has to be, uh, and for that we need to really work together, you know, cooperate, uh, you know, understanding uh, the situation of the different different parties in the problem uh, and try to be, as I said, creative and innovative in, in, in building peace. So, so my approach in life was always, uh, since I started working at the international level, and even in my country, you know, because always you have, uh, of course, which is naturally, people thinking differently to you, to your thinking. And you need to know how to manage that productively, you know, and not you know, confronting the person, but being, being rational and, and reasoning, you know, about the, the way they're thinking and the way you think things, things should be. So this is... I think this is for me is the basis for everything. You know, as I said, respect. You have to respect other people, and and you have to uh, acknowledge, recognize their their needs and their problems, and, and and see to how you accommodate this in the formula that you need to put together to move things for in any situation. You know, if you're talking about a project, you know, that you want to, uh, I don't know, uh, move forward with a, a project uh, really dealing with waste. You know, it's a typical problem in nuclear. (laughs) No community wants to be hosting a a, a nuclear waste facility because they're afraid what would happen to their people, to their health and their lives. So, um, and and how to really, you know, 
convince these people that this is a solution for everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, and it will be taking the necessary measures to ensure that it will be no problem for the health or or the uh, you know lives of these people. But if you're not you're not able to communicate that properly, and that's a key issue: communication. Mm -hmm. How to communicate uh, your ideas, your beliefs, your vision to others in a way they will not be they will not feel threatened by your position or not be offended by your position, that they will open up. To your to your solution, so so this is key, and I think this is a, you know I always say diplomacy is the art to make the other person thinks think that your ideas are theirs, mm -hmm. you know, and they immediately embrace them yeah. be, because they because they feel part of it, they feel yeah. part of the solution. Um, as you said, it has to be a win-win solution. Cannot be winners and losers because that never works. No, right. because we all want to be seen and we all want to be heard. And, and even though we may uh, be on the receiving end of learning and taking direction, we at least, it's just a human need to know that we've been heard yeah. in our concerns and our thoughts and even our ideas. So that's, that's perfectly in alignment with all of that. Yeah. As, as we begin to close, I want to know if there's anything that you'd like to share, anything that you really want to cover before we end our conversation this morning? Thank you. Well, first of all, I would like to thank you for this opportunity. As I said, I think it's a wonderful initiative that you, you put together, and I'm glad to be part of it, um, at least in a small portion of it. Um, but I would say that, um, again, this is part of the communication of efforts. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm really glad you allow me to explain our work, uh, because this, I know, will be um, uh, shared with many, many people, or is being shared with many, many people. So hopefully, they will be uh, more aware or more informed of the work we're doing, particularly here in Texas A&M in the eBeam Center, and how not only particular institutions, organizations, but in general, the, the public can benefit from these efforts, from the uh, promoting, let's say, the technologies I already explained, uh, on electron beam and X-ray technologies for industrial applications, and how these projects we are we are conducting benefit them, because as you said, the people always ask why you're doing this, yes. uh, and and you need to explain that why is, is this is important for them, and 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 I think it's something that I try to uh, do also every day, as you said. Uh, uh, we try to be transparent uh, everywhere, and particularly here at the Ebin Center, um, we we we're open to anyone uh, trying to learn about these technologies. We receive them with the open arms. Said, come and see how these technologies work, and how uh, you can really put together a facility like this in your country or in your community, in your state. And this is why the U.S. government has decided to. Um, uh, designate this event center here in Texas and as a demonstration center, particularly for the new technologies arising, you know, like a low energy elect electrons, elect accelerators. Uh, we are being inst now installing a new, new equipment with low energy to show the world how this help in, sol in, in providing solutions to many problems in the industry, you know, in health, in food and agriculture, in environment, in other applications. So I think this conversation helped uh, Valerie to really uh, disseminate this, this message to everybody. Thank you. Oh, I'm so glad. And, and you know you always have an open chair. You're always welcome and invited. I'd love to have a follow-up conversation. And most definitely, if ever there's a project or a program that you want to highlight or any of your colleagues, please uh, let us know, and we're happy to have those conversations. But before we truly do close out, I have one question, so, and I just have to ask Oscar of all of your accomplishments all of the programs in your amazing career is there a standout one that you feel particularly proud um, that you participated in or perhaps even led is there a standout I have to say all my engagements and are, are really really very interesting and, and very I would say uh, rewarding mm -hmm. um, but I have to say, after this career at the IAEA, we already talked about, 
coming to Texas A&M uh, was a great, great decision. Uh, I'm very happy and grateful for and those who made it possible for me to come here and continue doing what I'm doing. Yes. Um, so um, being here and being part of this uh, so prestigious uh, institution uh, it has been, you know, I think the the colorary of the of the my career, my professional yeah. career. So I I'm very grateful for the IAEA for the for the opportunity they gave me for many years yeah. to serve serve many member states yes. and facilitating cooperation around the world. But um, coming now here and uh, using that experience that I, I accumulated for many years in working at the international level and being able to continue supporting the programs at Texas and in particular in this field that I'm, as you can see, I'm very passionate about. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's been a quite a remarkable uh, achievement for me. So, yes, I would well, say I so. I think that deserves a whoop. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. definitely. I know that uh, we only have benefited from your uh, presence here, your partnership here, and, and everything that you do here. And as we close out, I want to thank our audience for listening in today. I hope you've listened to this entire conversation and all of our other conversations. And I know for me, and I hope for you, we'll be more like Dr. Acuna in moving throughout life with diplomacy, hoping for more communication, all for the purposes of making advancements in a peaceful, useful way. Thank you and have a wonderful day.